We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Blue Wire. First pick in the 1991 NBA draft, the Charlotte Hornets select Larry Johnson from University of I'm not supposed to be here, man. A lot of people from where I'm from, so don't, don't make it. Welcome back to another BuzzBeat. This is Richie, and please make sure to rate and review us on Apple Podcast or wherever you listen to our episodes. Also, check out buzzbeat.substack.com for information about BuzzBeat Plus, where you can get ad-free episodes, among other perks. On today's episode, I'll be joined by Brian and Lee as we will chat about the game that just went final here between the Hornets and the 76ers, 131-113, another loss in the books for the Hornets, as well as some interesting and fun questions from our listeners. Brian, Lee, how's it going, guys? I'm doing well. I did not have to guard Joel Embiid tonight, so I think because of that, uh, I'm doing, doing just fine. Glad to be here with you guys. Yeah, I don't think anyone guarded Joel. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, did you did you like the part of the fourth quarter where uh, uh, Nick Richards was in the game struggling against Embiid and Steve Clifford called a timeout and Del Curry said that's to get Mason Plumley back in to guard Joel Embiid and it was like, yeah, I mean that's technically true, but um, in actuality, uh, I don't think it worked quite as uh, as much as the head coach of the Hornets was hoping. Lee, how's it going for you? Hey, uh, it's good, man. I mean, I, I think we're we're starting to settle in and get get nice and uh, routine on these post game losses. Um, yeah. You know, seven and twenty now for anybody who's keeping count at home. Seven and twenty, seven and twenty. Yes, so we are doing our best for these post game losses, and we'll go ahead and get into this game versus Philly. Uh, the first go around against the 76ers, the team looked a, a whole lot different. Because I don't think they played with Embiid or Harden uh, back right. in Charlotte. Correct. Um, and I think Hornets were able to get the win, if I'm not mistaken. I can't I cannot remember what the. Uh, we result. did. We won that game. Oh, very good. Okay, but uh, obviously Embiid was a big factor in this game, and um, he's come back from injury. I don't know. He had like a four game stretch where he sat out, and he's been certainly a, a big factor tonight. And uh, both teams started off slow uh, from the offensive end of the court. Um, before it started to kind of pick up a little bit in those final four to five minutes of the first quarter, uh, the team 
Charlotte, that is, uh, really turned defense into offense, uh, got their hands into some passing lanes. And that is where they are going to be their best is just, you know, getting buckets in transition. And that's where they're going to have to take advantage uh, because they do have an inability to score in the half court. Uh, In terms of player performances that stood out to me, I mean, there weren't a ton that were noteworthy. Uh, Jalen McDaniels and and Kelly Oubre were two that, you know, were a little bit noteworthy. I I wouldn't necessarily say they had awesome games tonight. I wouldn't think anyone really uh, did per se, but... Um, I think Jalen McDaniels was probably one of the biggest recipients of the transition offense. He had a couple of buckets off steals early on in the game. and um, But he also had a couple of tough shots uh, against a good defense from the 76ers, which is something they're obviously known for. He had a turnaround fading shot in this first quarter, and then he had a driving layup in the second quarter where it seemed like Philly was really just shutting down any kind of driving lanes and walling off the paint in that second quarter. And I think once when they got things settled, uh, Philly, that is, on the defensive side of the court, uh, it just was a stretch of defense where Charlotte was struggling to get into a rhythm. And they're not shooting the ball well from behind the arc. Uh, I think Rozier did a little bit better tonight. But other than that, they're just not a team that can score from behind the arc. So they need tough shot makers. Not that Jalen McDaniels is one, uh, but we will take anything we can get uh, in the half court because that's where the Hornets are struggling right now. So. I just wanted to start off with Jalen McDaniels out of out of anyone uh, in terms of this game. But Kelly Oubre had 29 points. Terry Rozier had 29 points. And uh, McDaniels, who I just mentioned, had 15. Yeah, and I think McDaniels is even a, a fra- you know, an inch away from having an even nicer box score. He, he missed a layup that he probably should have hit. And then he had another possession where once Charlotte started trapping Harden and Embiid pick and roll, pretty aggressively late in the fourth quarters. They were desperately trying to um, do anything to 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 make it slightly more difficult against that action. Uh, McDaniels had a nice a nice steal. I guess I'm assuming it got recorded as a steal um, and could have had a like kind of like an open floor finish on it and then lost his handle and ball went back to Philly. But I agree, Richie. I thought he played thought he played well tonight um you know only 12 13 minutes in this game for kai jones but i thought every possession that he was you know involved or semi-involved in offensively he played hard tonight as he seems to be doing the last few weeks a couple of nice slashing possessions and put back finishes for kai so do want to ring that bell like i i think kai is continuing to show show flashes I still don't think there's much of a plan for how to use him in the half court. And I will continue to ring that bell that I'd like to see some more stuff schemed up for him because there are some possessions where when they run double screen action, double high, double drag, whatever, and Kai's at the four and he pops. Well, then all of a sudden the possession can just almost not necessarily die there, but whatever action you just ran whatever advantage could have been created goes nowhere because like, he's not going to catch and shoot. And, you know, he's also maybe not the quickest with the decision-making with the basketball at times. So again, I'd still like for there to be some better ideas for, to get that guy either cutting or diving downhill or coming off of handoffs or screens or Baghetti stampede cut type stuff to get him going downhill out of the corner. I would like to see, 
would like to see that. Um, so I'll shout, I'll shout out, I'll shout out Kai uh, for for um, a handful, half dozen. I thought pretty nice offensive possessions in this game, just kind of making stuff happen with his athleticism. Yeah, I, just a couple notes. I know we've. I think we want to spend more time on some good listener questions than we do this this uh, throttling from Joel Embiid that that we received. Um, you know, just a couple like little observations. Rozier, is, you know, he's like fourteen of twenty nine from three over his last four games. You know, Terry's finally starting to kind of find his footing um as a shooter that we've got accustomed to in his time in Charlotte so that's that's certainly something to watch um Bryce just like a little lineup note Bryce McGowns is the first guy off the bench tonight um obviously Dennis Smith Jr. is still unavailable Cody Martin's still unavailable um but I believe that was the first time that McGowan's was kind of Steve Clifford's first selection um, off the bench um, for a game. So I, that to me just kind of illustrates that McGowan's is clearly, um, you know, obviously it, on one hand, they just need to get him out there for developmental minutes and see what he looks like. But on another hand, I think there's a small part of that, that like Steve Clifford is, is liking what he sees and, and starting to trust him a little bit more and more. Um, Brian already hit on this pretty well, so I won't, I won't expand upon it, but just that like, the Richards and Kai Jones um, minutes are fun. Like, I'm, I'm not sure that they're particularly effective. And obviously, they were both just, you know, they're playing hard. They're both athletic. They're long. They tried. Like, they were just completely and utterly outclassed tonight, obviously. Um, and then the only other little note I had was just, you know, just kind of a super blah game from P.J. Washington as – I think it was the it was the Clippers game when when Kawhi hit the game winner that me and Richie were will, really kind of singing PJ's praises after the game because it was it was one of those games where you just see so much like offensive versatility and 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 defensive usefulness from PJ Washington the shooting you know it it just seems like it's still it's still inconsistent. It's still very up and down with PJ. But to be fair, you know that that should probably be expected when when most of your on ball playmaking is, is in street clothes, you know, I think he um, maybe even a little bit more than others uh, is affected negatively by that. So um, those were just uh, four kind of little quick notes and observations I had about the game tonight. He he's, he's just struggling so much in the mid range right now, PJ shooting the basketball. So when he has nights like this, when the three ball doesn't go down, he's Oh, four, it can just make the shooting lines look really, really bad, you know? Um, and yeah, I think this has been a pretty, I mean, the whole season's been, been tough at times for PJ from an efficiency standpoint, but uh, this does seem to be a stretch where outside of the Clippers game, where he's just kind of going through a, a, a pretty, a pretty real rough patch. I've not like looked at the December, you know, splits or anything like that, but this does not seem to be, uh, an overly strong stretch for PJ. Um, and who knows, like, you know, sometimes those, if trade rumors start creeping in a little bit more, you know, maybe that, that type of stuff does go, maybe it has some impact on his play or whatever, but really I think it has a lot to do with the defense has been okay. The play, the passing has been okay, but 
the the individual offense, especially the mid range, has really struggled. And so on games like this, when the three isn't there to sort of raise the overall efficiency floor, you can just put up some box scores that shooting wise look pretty brutal. Yeah, and if you remember, Lee, uh, when we recorded after that game against the Clippers, I think his previous game, he had an awful game. Um, I think it was against the Bucks. It was a goose egg. I think. Yeah, it was yeah. the 0 of 12, 0 of 13 <laughs> shooting, whatever that, whatever. I can't remember what the, how many he missed that night, but yeah, it was, a, it was yeah. a, an 0 for. So that means he's going to do awesome uh, Wednesday night against the Pistons. Yes. <laughs> yeah, of course. <laughs> My Perfect. prediction. 25 plus points for PJ. Um, last note that I wanted to make, and, and we'll get out of here on the uh, the game recap and transition over to the questions, is just Kelly Oubre is just so funny to me in the, in the sense that this season is the perfect equation for him in terms of his performance and potentially raising his value around the league. You couple the contract year plus the fact that there's injuries all up and down the roster you know, it, it this perfect storm has come together for him, and he is taking advantage of getting up every shot that he can. And you know, again, he keeps up his aggression when it comes to getting to the hoop, and that's something that I've been highlighting all year. But you know, just just his overall attempts tonight, twenty three. I, I would think that that would have to be a season high for him. So I'll take a look at that after this recording to see if that's the case. But it's got to be up there. And uh, I think the situation for him is just perfect for the game that he likes to play. So, uh, again, Hornets lose 131-113, dropping to 7-20, and like Lee mentioned earlier. And, um, yeah, the offense in the half court, uh, especially against a good half court defense, like just was was hard to watch. So Ke- Kelly Oubre, 26.2% usage rate heading into tonight, according to basketball reference, um, averaging over 19 field goal attempts per 36 minutes too. just insane usage. And he doesn't really turn the ball over. So, yeah, he's going to get up a lot of shots. Yeah, and Richie, just to uh, just to piggyback, uh, tied for his most field goal attempts this year. The other one was actually the, the Clippers game from the other night. He <laughs> took 20, 23 shots in that game as well. Another thing that I hadn't noticed until I just looked, Kelly Oubre scored uh, in double figures every game this season. Does not have a single-digit scoring night this year. Such a strange season, man. It's <laughs> it, it really is. I, I, do, I do think, like... The opportunity for him to become a, a possible trade chip, uh, I think it does increase with the way he plays like this. You know, if a team is looking for a guy that can can give him some shooting and some scoring and a you know another added spark of rim pressure from the wing, um, yeah, I, I don't know. I I I think a couple weeks ago I was sort of down on that as a possibility, like a like a realistic possibility, and and now I'm starting to think that. Yeah, it, it, I think the opportunity is, is expanding and could be something that we'll see what things look like two months from now, supposedly, I think, with Kelly. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. 
And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. If you're a basketball junkie, then you know there's no better time of year than the NBA playoffs. Twice a week, J.J. Redick is cooking on his podcast, The Old Man and the Three. He has guys come on in all stages of their careers to talk about the league and share stories you won't hear anywhere else, including Devin Booker on why he talks so much trash, Ray Allen's epic free throw competitions with LeBron in Miami, and the moment Tyrese Halliburton knew Pascal Siakam would be a good fit in Indy. In addition to player interviews, every Monday, J.J. breaks down the top three things happening around the NBA with unmatched analysis. Analysis, not outlandish takes, and is often joined by masterminds of the game like Tim Legler to dive deep on rookie reports, trade breakdowns, and why is mean mugging now a tech? You won't find another outlet that covers the game as comprehensively and with such insight as JJ does it on The Old Man and the Three. Make this your companion podcast during the playoffs. Listen to The Old Man and the Three ad-free on Wondery Plus or wherever you get your podcasts. All right, let's switch it over to some listener questions to end out the pod here. And uh, we have got three questions from Cam, and we'll just go one by one here. Cam says, why haven't our lottery picks uh, been playing? Mark, get him ready. Book night. See what you have. And in parentheses, he puts nothing. Uh, but maybe someone will offer something. So I, I agree entirely on the Mark Williams needs to be seeing minutes uh, part of this question going into the season. I think I've predicted him to be seeing consistent minutes by January. I just don't know if that's going to be the case. Uh, but from everything I've seen, it looks like he's done very, very well with himself with the Greensboro Swarm. And I fully believe that the biggest reason he is seeing time there is not because of like some kind of needed development, which you know obviously any rookie could use. But I think it's more because of the depth and being behind Plumley and Richards, like he's just not going to be able to see minutes. So unless Plumley is off this team, you might see more of this situation pop up. Um, he's also dealing with a left ankle sprain, and I'm not really sure that really matters for this specific question. I'm not sure he'd actually be seeing court time if he was healthy. And as far as book goes, he actually played tonight, which was interesting, two and a half minutes. I think he was being facetious with this question, but I'm not sure that there is really a path right now that he is going to be getting minutes. Like Bryce McGowan's is just the better option, and I'm not really sure it's a debate right now. And, um, you know, it's, it must be a confidence thing or, or something, like all these things that are playing against Book Night. But, yeah, I, I would like to see Mark Williams get some minutes considering, you know, the whole situation with this season being 7-20 and 20 right now. Oh yeah, I so Mark Williams. I, okay, so Book Night is like you've had tons of opportunity. Like, right? Am I ruling out the fact that he w would get back into the rotation at some point this year? No, like definitely not. But it's such a different situation than Mark Williams, who has not gotten an opportunity yet. Book Night has had all the opportunities in the world. I, you know, there are there are some outlier nights like the Brooklyn game where where Clifford just played the starters like 40 minutes, all of them, <laughs> which was just like, makes you like throw up in your mouth a little bit. But I like, 
I think for the most part, he's de- doing a decent, and and somewhat of it is like his hand is forced because of all the injuries. But like, I do think mostly he's doing an okay job with the developmental minutes. He's just not going to sit plumbly. Um, and and maybe a little bit of that is coming down from above um, because they might want to trade a guy like Plumley or a guy like Ubre. Um, but I also just think like it's just not in Clifford's nature. He's just not gonna he's not gonna bury Mason Plumley to play Jones, Richards, and Williams. So I am hopeful that that Plumley can get moved before the deadline um, because I, I think it's most likely the right thing to do um, from just a business operational standpoint. And I also think it would be the right thing to do to let Mark Williams post trade deadline start to get, you know, 15 minutes a night and start to see what you have with them. So, you know, I I think from Cam's like overarching question is why aren't our lottery picks playing? One is because of Mason Plumlee and two, because James Booknight just isn't an NBA player right now. Yeah. And and certainly part of it is, Nick Richards has played well and really yeah. solidified his role as the backup center. There maybe would be more opportunities for Mark if Richards were playing closer to the level of his first two seasons in the NBA. With as far as McGowan's usurping uh, book night in the rotation, and you know maybe we'll see we'll see how the we'll see how the rest of the season plays out. Perhaps sort of uh, hierarchy in the organization. I mean, we got a little bit. We have a ways to go because Book Knight still on a you know second year of a first round pick contract. McGowan's for now still on a on a two way deal, but um, but you could see this coming a month ago. You know, we recorded a pod being uh, again at some point in mid November, being like when Book Knight was still playing, getting his twenty minutes a night, but just being like one of the worst rotation players in the NBA. And you saw what McGowan's was doing in Greensboro or what he would do when he would get a flash to play late in the game. And again, it was the writing was on the wall. Bryce was going to jump him in the rotation. You could see it coming. It is frustrating that one of the reasons that at least some people spun this when the Mark Williams pick happened uh, in the 2022 draft, some people said, well, he's the most kind of NBA ready guy that the Hornets could have taken in this range. Jalen Duran's the youngest guy in the NBA, right? The guy they technically drafted at 13 and then routed to Detroit. Um, AJ Griffin, who's also one of the youngest guys in this draft class and in the NBA, he goes 16, uh, right? The pick right after Mark Williams. He's of course now lighting it up for the Hawks to the surprise of no one who watched him play prior to his time in the NBA. Um, and so it is a it is a little frustrating that it, one that should never be the logic for why you like draft a player you know ultimately is and I'm not saying that's why Charlotte did the selection just the, that's the way some analysts or people talking about the draft like viewed that pick or justified that pick and I it's, again bad logic in my mind um but yeah, it's frustrating that that person has played 13 minutes, you know, in the NBA all season. He's been in three games, so again, that has to change. And if Plumlee isn't traded, you got to buy him out because you just got to clear the you got to clear the lane a little bit because you've got to find actual playing time for for Mark Williams um, this season. It's great that he's doing well in Greensboro and putting up numbers, but it, he needs you know 
he needs some reps uh, against real NBA competition. I don't know what you do with Book Knight. I don't know what the answer here is. I have no clue. Lee, you and I talked about this a couple of weeks ago. It's like, on one hand, you think hey, maybe you could send Book Knight down to Greensboro and he could build up his confidence and put up some numbers against G League competition, but... If he if he goes down there and struggles in Greensboro, then then what do you do? Like you know, once you pull that lever, it, it's sort of hard to to flip it around. And I just don't know where he's at confidence wise. And so maybe you're also worried about that cratering, that type of move, uh, that demotion, for lack of a better term, uh, being viewed as that. Even though that is something that could perhaps uh, help James Book Knight, but. Yeah, it is a little disappointing in a season that is just completely slipping away. Lamelo's barely played. That you know they're they've drafted a lot of guys in the first round the last couple of years, and you're really not seeing. You know, we we just now last two to three weeks started seeing Kai Jones play. You know, um, so it would be nice to see more of those guys. Uh, it's at least Mark Williams and more of Kai Jones, and and certainly moving on from Plumlee at some point this season would be a very natural way to, to help that process. All right. The next question that cam has was cliff, the worst possible hire for this team. And it's funny. I, I kind of get what he's getting at here, but I think, I don't know if I've brought this up in Slack or through our text or both, but I'm not really sure I've expressed this on the pod. Uh, I thought the messaging with Mitch Kupchak last year in terms of the firing of Borrego and the hiring of the new coach was a little bit confusing and perplexing. And there were some mixed messages like Kupchak was talking about how JB didn't play the rookies like Book Knight and Kai and JT. But then he went on to say that JB did an awesome job with like the youth development over the seasons. And then he also stated that last year's goal was to make the playoffs. So which one is it? Like, are you trying to play the young players and play the youth or are you trying to make the playoffs? So it's so conflicting when you factor that in. And you also got the extension factor that Borrego got prior to his last season. It makes it even more confusing. So I'm not necessarily so mad at the hire of Cliff at all. I mean, he's been dealt a bad hand and we've seen the injuries and all the off the court issues that he's had to inherit. And I'm, what I'm kind of, what I'm kind of confused at is where was Mitch wanting to go with this new coach and what what was the new hire that he was looking for because of all these conflicting messages I'm not really sure what he was looking for so I know that there was rumors out there that Borrego lost the locker room and that's a valid reason to get rid of a guy but I think that Clifford is just a coach right now that is just in a place where he is just going to hold it for the next couple of years and then they're going to find a new guy was it the worst possible hire i would say no i think clifford brings the best out of his players i just think that the hand that he's been dealt right now has been so bad that it's really hard to evaluate anyone and who knows what kenny atkinson would have done with this team so i I don't (laughs) i don't know really if you can really judge clifford based off of this season yeah i mean i think there is at least some track record of what atkinson did during at the start of his his stint with Brooklyn when they Correct. weren't very good and there there was an emphasis on uh playing fast, running a ton of pick and roll, targeting the rim, shooting a bunch of threes. I mean, they weren't very good early on and then the the big focus was on player development. So, there's some pathways to that, but a lot of that depends on personnel. And so you're going to be handicapped uh, or you're going to be capped in certain ways 
due to whatever your roster looks like. I guess I, I think, I think there's a chance that what Cam is saying this because not, it's not even like a knock so much on like, Oh, does Steve Clifford, you know, no basketball. Is he like a good coach? It's just, I think it could, I think some people are wondering if, because Charlotte should so obviously be tanking and playing the younger guys and maybe trying some more creative stuff offensively that you have a guy like Cliff Clifford, who's a little more nailed to habits, habits, habits. Like, and, and yeah. that's one of the things that makes him a great, like as makes him like a, at times like a, a very like dependable and solid NBA coach. But as you're looking at this roster, that's, um, that so clearly should be thinking about getting a top three pick in the draft that having a guy like Clifford, that's going to redline the, the engine trying to squeeze every point that he can out of it. It's like, if this team was like 10% better, they would be, you know, I don't know. It's, it's obvious to say like they would be winning more games, no dub, but it's like, they're almost like just bad enough that, the, the stuff that Steve Clifford does to help teams on the margins like isn't enough, you know? But it's like if they were a little bit better, it would get them over this theoretical um, hump. So I guess in that regard, yeah, like that's why Cliff is sort of like a, a tough hire for this roster because I just kind of wish Clifford one day would get to coach a team that's like a ready-made 50-win team. And then, he could, then we could see like what Steve Clifford can actually do because the only opportunities he's gotten have been small market franchises where at, at a certain point, the teams have to start rebuilding and it puts him, it puts him like in a not great spot too. So um, I, yeah, I don't think he was the worst. I think there are so many worst options. I mean, Jim Boylan is still out there floating around. Like you could have done worse. Um, he, that guy almost broke Wendell Carter Jr. And look what Wendell has turned into for Orlando this season. So yes, definitely could have done worse than Steve Clifford, but, um, I, I get some of maybe the consternation coming from some parts of the fan base. Yeah. What was the guy who, uh, lasted like half a year in Cleveland with LeBron? Was it David Blatt? Uh, David Blatt. Well, then there, well, there was also John Beeline who didn't last very long after coming in from Michigan. Yeah, not well, you, great. Can, you can do worse. I mean, uh, you know, different sport, but we all saw what happened with Urban Meyer uh, last year. In yeah, yeah. I mean, you could have brought, you could have found the Matt Rule of uh, yeah, the NBA yeah. to come roll into town. It is. I mean, I mean, we're recording this on a Sunday. I didn't watch the Panthers game today, but I saw Back they the playoff, won, maybe. and they're what one game out of the division lead, uh, be, simply because Steve Wilkes is coaching coaching them boys up. Down in Charlotte, exactly, exactly. Yeah, no, I'll, uh, I'll see, I'll see the floor on this one. Let's let's keep it rolling, Richie. All righty. Uh, the next question, I, I think we're just going to quickly go through this one. Is Kelly Oubre the best looking guy in the NBA? The answer is yes. So, yeah, definitely. Yeah. I will say real quickly, there was someone from when Kelly was playing with Phoenix. Someone from Suns Twitter had a tweet saying that Kelly leads the league in RPM. Like and as but as opposed to it being real plus minus, the acronym was real pretty man. And I like still I think about that tweet every game I watch Kelly Oubre play, which has been a, a lot the last uh one and a half seasons. I, 
I think the real question is, has Cam inspired a new segment? Like, if 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 they, if things get really bad this season, I think we just go all <laughs> handsome team. Yes, you know, and, yep. and make our make our selections. I mean, look, Desmond Bain's a very presidential looking yes. guy. You yes. know what I mean? Yes. So yes. I exactly. think there's some other there's some other guy, but yeah, I mean, yeah, I mean, look, uh, you know. I think we're all uh, we're all adult enough here to 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 admit that Kelly Oubre is a fantastic looking human. Yeah, he's a he's a handsome dude. There's there, it's unquestioned. Like objectively speaking, Kelly Oubre is a handsome dude. Yeah, we might get to the point, Lee, where we rank the Hornets on attractive. Yeah. <laughs> Perfect. That, that's coming in February. Perfect. All right. Yeah, lots to look forward to this season. <laughs> These next two questions go hand in hand, so I'm going to read them both back-to-back here. So Matt S. asks, should Uber remain a starter once Gordon and LaMelo come back? And then on Twitter, at MTStuff12, he asks, if Hayward isn't traded next offseason, should he be coming off the bench next season, both health management and prioritizing the players drafted? So, Lee, I'll let you lead this one off first uh, because I'm probably going to echo both you and Brian's sentiments on this. So I'll I'll let you lead this one off. I mean, I... I know this is uh, like, you know, breaking the Cardinal rule for, you know, opinion making, but I'm, I'm not sure I care. Like in terms of Ubre remaining a start, like, I mean, obviously LaMelo is going to start. So that's kind of a non-starter. And then kind of like dovetailing the Gordon question. I, I mean, we've talked on this podcast like quite a few times this season about how if Gordon's available, the Hornets just run him into the ground. I mean, I mean, and, and like, I'm not saying you shouldn't be frustrated with Gordon Hayward and his injury history uh, and what he makes, you know, as a player on the, in this organization. Like I understand all of that and I, and I get all of that. I also think on the same, on the same hand, you know, you can be frustrated at the fact that they seem to like completely refuse to have any sort of uh, kind of management uh, system in place with Hayward and his health. So you know, if he comes back next season, like, look, if he's available and this team is trying to win, I think he should start. Like Hayward, you know, at the risk of, uh, you know, beating a dead horse, like he's still a very effective NBA player when he is in the lineup. And kind of going back to the last question, like Steve Clifford thought he was going to be coaching a roster that was a play-in team for the last two years. And this roster now is kind of a glorified G League roster. So it's just it's just a completely different situation than we were all expecting, whatever, four, three, four months ago. Um, but I guess to get back at the question at hand, should Oubre remain a starter when Gordon and LaMelo come back? Sure. You know, why not? He's 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 <laughs> he's having some of the best kind of numbers of his career. If Hayward isn't traded next offseason, should he come off the bench next season? No. Uh, but they should probably figure out a way to like get him to play over 45 games in a season at the same time. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I mean, I'm with you. I don't think however you handle Ubre as a starter, like I guess if those guys come back, that's the other thing. I mean, I, yeah, do you yeah. think <laughs> do you think like over under, do you think Gordon Hayward plays more than 10 games this season? For for Charlotte, like, like moving we, forward, yeah, like this, like this season, like on December eleventh, like do you think Gordon Hayward does? Does he play double figure games for Charlotte this year? Like from here on out, like I mean, I don't know. Like even if he does come back to play, like it is just inevitable that he'll get hurt again, and and then 
probably you know, be out again. I just, I don't know the severity of his injury right now. There should be no rush to bring him back. If, and when he does come back, he'll, it's just only it, the clock starts to tick, starts all over again before he's once again, inevitably hurt. Um, so, but I guess the, the world does exist that even if, even if LaMelo and Gordon both came back, if, if PJ Washington is still struggling, maybe you can just slot Oubre in as the de facto four, or Hayward as the de facto four, and you know, maybe Kelly has done enough to to justify that starting spot. And if you think he's earned it, and you think it's good for his confidence or whatever, to and you're still maybe trying to shop him uh, before the trade deadline. If all of these, if this confluence events happens before the deadline, then then maybe you do keep that rolling, you know, and then you 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 move you bring PJ off the bench. I'm not advocating for that to be clear, but that is that I suppose that hypothetical, that scenario is a possibility. Um, it, who knows? I mean, maybe PJ Spencer and I talked about this on a pod the other day, but like maybe PJ gets dealt. And so that also would potentially clear out added playing time for someone like Kelly Oubre. I have long, like I've mentioned late last season that I thought Hayward coming off the bench would have been interesting. Like, when he returned from injury late in the season and as Charlotte was sort of finding something playing bridges and PJ together with a center on the court. But um, I didn't think that was like the long-term thing. You know, it's like Gordon's good when he's out there and you're paying him a lot of money. So him as like, you're, you're the guy that props up the bench offense. I think it's interesting, but I think it's more interesting than like a pinch like and, and something that you do for like a finite amount of time as opposed to, well, this is the good, this is going to be the plan going forward with Gordon. Um, but yeah, it is nuts. Like we're, this is year three of the four year contract. So I just think next season, assuming he's still on the roster has the chance to be like pretty weird with Hayward and how his role is handled. Yeah, that, that's going to be interesting to see, you know, how the draft goes and, you know, where he fits within all the pieces. But yeah, I think when he gets back, well, when, if he gets back healthy, I, I say just keep Ubre as the starter. And that could be a way to kind of load manage Gordon is by bringing him off the bench. Because when he does start, he plays a tremendous amount of minutes and uh, it just doesn't stop. So, all right, next question from at not that heat on Twitter. Who is the better fit with LaMelo, Vic or Scoot? Now, I haven't watched these guys as much as you guys have, and I know both of you guys did a pretty extensive pod over the summer on both of these players, so I won't be able to make much of a case here. Uh, but for the sake of the question, I'd love for you guys to take out the BPA and just pretend we were asked to pick the better fit between the two. You obviously, you know, you don't do this with the first overall pick, the second overall pick, or the third overall pick, but maybe it's something that you consider later in the first round. But Lee, Brian, can you make the case that Scoot is the better fit next to LaMelo versus Vic? No, I cannot make that case, but... And the, on the same token, I think Scoot is a better fit with Lamelo than than Mike meets the eye. If that makes sense, like you know, you might have this knee jerk reaction to say like, "Oh, Scoot's not you know a a, a big time shooter, um, so maybe the spacing doesn't work." But and and I think me and Brian actually talked about this like like precisely about this on the Scoot pod was. 
how well he does fit with LaMelo because of the potential for point of attack defense, the dynamic playmaking, and, oh, by the way, LaMelo Ball's a really good shooter. So, like, <laughs> LaMelo will be just fine now with this. You know, he was ahead of his schedule as a shooter from day one in the NBA, and that's only continued. So I think Scoot is an incredible fit with LaMelo, but I can't – I just – I don't think I could bring myself, even in like a steel man way, really, to 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 say that he would be a better fit than, than uh, Wimby because – we all know about, you know, LaMelo has very few flaws, but one of them is point of attack defense. And Wemba Miata just, he just erases, <laughs> he just erases defensive flaws and, and structural defensive mistakes at and around the rim at a level that I think is going to be shocking to people who are even <laughs> familiar with him when he enters into the NBA. You know, you you can you can easily reference the game against Chet Holmgren he had two summers ago where you know like Chet had some moments because Chet's an awesome player but Wimby like was just better and erased Chet at the rim several times and he's going to do that in the NBA from day one he's going to do that so that along with like a pick and roll lob partner transition even pick and pop stuff with Wemby that it's it's honestly like I can't even let myself pretend <laughs> that is a possibility because it would be so incredibly exciting to have those two pieces on this uh, in this franchise so I'm just I'm not I'm not letting myself believe it BG is women Yama like ball dominant on the offensive side of the court? Not, not that this is really a concern concern. Like, he's using, that, he's using a, like he's the, with his current roster in France right now at met 92, like one of the reasons why he went, took this opportunity there was so he could play with the ball more. And so I think that's been very good for his development. Like you see him initiate offense a lot. You see him isolate a lot. You see him pick and pop and then, catch the ball and then if he doesn't shoot flow into some self-creation effort so yeah he's like he's he's playing on the ball a lot right now but i think those are i think those are those kinds of reps are really valuable for him to get before he comes to the nba and it's cool to see him sort of exploring the space a little bit in terms of like what he can do but um you know i, I mean, think just i would just say richie like if you're trying to think of envisioning what he might look like on an NBA floor from like a ball dominant standpoint. And it's not a perfect analog, but I would kind of think of Anthony Davis a little bit in terms of like the way he's used. Um, so I don't think he's going to like demand usage a whole lot. Although the crazy thing about his upside is that one day he might be like self-creating an isolation off the dribble with step back jumpers. Yeah. Yeah. He, I mean, he, there could be like, you know, uh, Giannis type, kind of self-create yeah, like half court creation too. efforts for him. He's an insane finisher too. I mean, he's not, he's going to get stronger, but he already is an incredible finisher at and around the basket. Lee mentioned the defense his ground coverage. The rim protection is completely insane. And like the NBA is like one of the, one of the like archetype dynamic duos that the league is built on is like, is awesome. Awesome. Ball handling guard. And, a, a talented big guy, right? Like that is that is just like one of the like archetypal duos that the league, the, the you know Shaq and Kobe, 
Uh, we just saw James Harden and Joel Embiid, right? Like the, these yep. are the t- kind of guys like teams build very successful winning championship caliber rosters around that that like that archetype. Not saying that's like that's what LaMelo and Wembyama would be um if if the stars were to align, but so the fit is just like fit with them is so good, but and I also think Wembyama's pick and pop game, LaMelo's pick and pop passing is so good. And I actually think that's something that PJ is missing a lot this season as well where he was one of the best pick and pop shooters in the league last season albeit playing lots of time at center but the thing with scoot is to remember is that one scoot moves well without the ball in the half court like he is a good cutter and i do buy the shot like the the spot shot for him long term what i would also say is as we've discussed plenty of times throughout lamella's tenure as as incredible as he is he's not like um in 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 an instant blur and therefore like an instant source of rim pressure which scoot henderson is like he is just like natural easy advantage creation every time in the half court with a screen or even without a screen and then all of a sudden you could let Lamelo again i think there might be some friction you know and you'd have to figure it out and again i think there would be some natural tension but if you could get Lamelo to sort of like buy into a role that looked maybe a little bit more like his rookie year where he's sharing playmaking duties more with guys like Devante or uh, Gordon Hayward, et cetera, then it could really work because LaMelo's ability to get off ball as a shooter and be like a link up player, a connector in the half court or some of the stuff that he does best. So I think there's a case, like you can make a case for Scoot and LaMelo to be a really nice fit, but I don't think that you can do it in a way that it would fit better than like a, a, a LaMelo Wembenyama a one five pairing. Yeah, that, that's what I figured. But I, I wanted to throw out that BPA and, and see if you could make the case. So uh, just uh, an update here. The Magic did beat the Raptors tonight. And I think they also beat them on Friday night. Uh-oh. And I'm watching right now off to the side here. The Rockets are up four with 18 <laughs> seconds left. Let's go. If the Rockets do win, that would only place two teams at seven wins. And those are the two teams that play Wednesday night. The Pistons, uh, yeah. Oh, God. So, um. It's looking like the Rockets are going to pull this one out. They've got one more free throw attempt here to make it 97-92 if they can convert that. But uh, I'll keep an eye on this. It's time for he- it's time for Terry Rozier to get like, does he need some dental work done Wednesday <laughs> afternoon? Like, does he yeah. need his like wisdom teeth taken out or uh, any anything like that? Does Kelly Oubre need a day off at the spa? Like, I, I don't know what it is, but I don't know. Maybe we need to schedule one of those for like 6.30 Wednesday night. Just uh, Just throwing that possibility out there. Yeah, go hang out with LaMelo, who's sick right now. (laughs) Last question at Captain Regulator on Twitter. Yeah, the Rockets won. Why am I still watching this team? And and this is a very, very good question, and I'm not really sure I can convince the masses to watch this team on a nightly basis. I've got to watch because we've got this pod, and um, I'm very much an on-the-court type of like evaluator. Brian and Lee, you could probably be just fine if you just switch your attention over to college and spencer could probably pot about hypothetical trade stuff and the salary cap but i guess my only pitch is that bryce mcgowan's and kai jones and get some minutes there and inject some energy into the game but i do not blame fans whatsoever for you know just putting the game on as background music or maybe just watching three or four games a month like it's it's tough this year for whatever reason lee brian can you make a case to to have these people tune in 
No, I mean, yeah, that's the the only case is let's let's see what these young guys are all about. I mean, you know, if you don't want to watch, that's what we're for. We're going to recap it for you anyway. You're going to listen on your morning commute. You know, you're going to get the 10 game update from me. You're going to get some exclusive pods like, you know, that's that's what we're here for. It's funny. I send uh, I send the 10 game report to some of my buddies and they say, thank God. Now I don't have to watch the Hornets. You can just tell me what's going on. with So, Clifford notes. And, you know, the only other answer is that, you know, we're we're gluttons for self-punishment here at the BuzzBeat pod. So. Uh, we're going to keep watching, but uh, there's there's absolutely no reason why you should. <laughs> yeah. I mean, like, Lee, you and I did a post-game pod. After oh, the- oh, oh, and for, for the other stars in the NBA, that's you know, to watch Embiid go for 50. Right? Yeah, that that is that is nice. And even even when they're playing a bad team like Detroit, it's like, well, I haven't seen Jay Nivey play all that much since college season started and my NBA watching has sort of declined, like, I want to see him and I want to see Jay Nivey. I know Kate Cunningham's not playing right now, so um, I I would like to see a game where Jay Nivey gets a lot of like on-ball creation reps. I'm excited to see that. So yeah, that is that is a big part of it because once college season starts, like I mean, I watch all 82 Hornets games every year, um, and again, it's a good entry point into seeing every team in the league at least a couple of times. You know, so that it does it helps me in that helps me in that regard the other thing is it's like man like even though the team stinks often like richie you and i have been doing this pod lee's been this is his second season but you richie you and i have been doing this pod together for five or six years now the team has been i mean they've never been in the playoffs since we started this like they've always (laughs) been bad and um we just keep doing it in part because like it's still fun like even when the product is disappointing, like I like coming on here and talking about it with you guys because it's fun to talk basketball with people that also love ball. And so I I get, I get like some sick enjoyment out of that, I suppose. But like, it does go beyond that. Like the community, the people that are still here, like the true dead enders, like y'all are my people. Like I've, I've said this to friends of mine before, where they're like, where they've asked me, like, why do you, why do you follow the Hornets? Who's paying attention? And I'm like, you might be surprised, but there's at least a couple thousand people out there. It's not a lot, but it's like, if you're still here at the, like, if you're still here by this point, right after mm-hmm. after everything, the team leaving, the Bobcats, like everything that's happened, uh, you know, with Kemba, post Kemba, with Lamelo, like it's just if you're still here after all of that then um as 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 the three of us are and as certainly as spencer is then like then i don't know i'm not gonna just like it's tough for me to like voluntarily leave that even though i do think ownership of this team you can still demand better from them right while still also saying but i'm still gonna keep showing up and watching these games you know so I don't know. It's like you, you. I think you can you can do both, but ultimately, like it's fun. I like talking with you guys. I like interacting with everyone around the show, whether it's on Twitter or Twitter Spaces or it's in Discord or Slack or you know text or whatever. So that to me is fun. And then yeah, I do think the other part of it is like one watching the young guys, 
And then it's cool when one of them pops too. Like that was what that's what's made some of this stuff really, really fun is when all of a sudden you do see a guy turn a corner and, and you get to be like, man, I I watched two years of him do being bad at this. And then all of a sudden, like you just see the light go on. That's like a really satisfying process. And then the hope would be that one day they are good, right? Like the, the, it's all worth it. And then and then you can at least say even when they bomb out in the second round. You can at least oh, be like, that'd be so fun. you can I'd at least, that. you can at least say like, I don't know, like I saw this develop and there's, I think some kind of satisfaction, at least in my mind uh, for wow. that. We were heading that way too, weren't we? Yeah. yeah, it all, I mean it again, we've, we've rehashed it too many times and I'm sure we will do it more, but man, yeah, the 2022 off season was just there's there's just this two to three week stretch in in late July in like late June early July where just yeah I mean it it everything went to everything went to hell like it it was it, everything fell apart you know so and that's why six months later or five months later you're staring down you know a, a Wednesday night game with Detroit being like wow I hope Jaden Ivy goes for thirty five <laughs> like like so so maybe there's some salvation at the end of this you know. But but I don't like people who decide to check out on this team. I don't blame you, and you can always come back too. Would would be my pitch. Yeah. Like you know, you, you've no one should police how other people want to be fans. I, I think at least in terms of like small market NBA franchises. And here's the thing, Brian. If their Hornets viewing is down, we still hope that they come listen to us for the updates. Exactly, um, exactly. We're not going to stop. Yeah. Look, if well, Dell, if Dell, Eric, and Ashley are calling games, that's right. We are going to be doing the Buzzbeat podcast. That's that's my promise to the listeners. Yeah, we'll be here for the post game stuff. Then sprinkled in will be some draft stuff with Brian, Lee, and Spencer, and you know, great profile pods on prospects as we kind of gear up for that. So we're going to go ahead and wrap here. But I wanted to put something on your radar. There is a future episode with Lauren Hoffman likely on Friday the 16th. She was the sideline reporter that filled in for Ashley Shamity for several games with Bally Sports. I'm going to get her thoughts on her time with Charlotte and some other things as well. Thanks again for joining us today. We appreciate the support, and we ask that if you do like our pod, give us a five-star rating and review on Apple Podcast or wherever you listen to our shows. For Brian and for Lee, I'm Richie. We'll talk to you guys later. Whether you're a world-class athlete or a podcaster like me, we all understand the importance of mental and physical well-being and proper recovery for top-notch performance. That's why I'm excited that Unified Healing is sponsoring podcasts on the Blue Wire Network. Unified Healing is a new and super innovative global network of wellness centers powered by Energy Enhancement System, or EE System. If you haven't heard of the EE System yet, then you'll want to listen up. This technology promotes wellness, deep relaxation, purification, and rejuvenation. Wherever you are across the globe, access to a center is easy and affordable. Interested in experiencing the EE System technology for yourself? Go to unifiedhealing.com slash bluewire to learn more and find a center near you. That's unified, U-N-I-F-Y-D, healing.com slash bluewire. No material or testimonials on the Unified Healing website are intended to be viewed as medical advice or a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment and before undertaking a new healthcare regimen, including EE system.